man, this generation, man, y'all's age, man, our kids' age, and even a little older, man, there is such a premium put on, man, I want to be a social media influencer. I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be an Instagram model. I want to, I want to, people to know who I am. And we talked about how, like, and that stuff is so fleeting, and the culture just kind of, like, sweeps that stuff away so quickly, and to really be a person of influence, really make a difference leave a, a mark on this world, man, it means falling in line with what God's already doing in the advancement of his kingdom and allowing him to use you to make an impact, be an influence for him, for his glory, uh, and how he wants to use you in the lives of the people around you. And that's what's going to make a difference, not just a year from now, five years from now, but 10,000 years from now. Man, if there's people in heaven, because you proclaim the gospel, man, you share the love of Christ with them, and that's how you are an influencer, right? That's how you make a difference. So, uh, man, we've been talking about be what it means to be a person of influence, and we've been doing that by looking at the lives of different major Old Testament figures. We talked about Moses, and Joshua, and Jonah, and Jeremiah, and Elijah, who am I forgetting? David. And Ruth, David. and David, and we're talking about all kinds of people. So kind of, it also functions as like a survey of the Old Testament, right? We combine that with like our... Our, our, our series, uh, Family Tree series from last semester, you kind of got an overall survey of kind of God working through people uh, in the Old Testament, but hopefully also encourage you how God wants to use you today in your sphere of influence with the people around you. So we're going to finish it up tonight. Jack's going to talk to us about Esther. Let's go. <laughs> What's up, you guys? What's up? So I'm excited and like, it's, it's kind of like accident, right? This bothers me, so I'm going to take it off. Um, this kind of by accident that um, I ended up talking about, like, the ladies in the series. But that's okay. I'm a lady. I like ladies. So I'll talk about the ladies, right? Um, but so we're going to talk about Esther. And by way of, like, just introing it and just kind of getting into the theme of what we're going to talk about, um, you guys, some of you know I'm a track coach. And the really interesting thing about me being a track coach this particular season is I only coach two ladies. Our varsity girls team has two. So I spend most of my time with the varsity guys. Our son runs for them. He has like a lot of friends that run for them. And just a couple weeks ago, I was at a meet and I was watching one of the races with my son Thomas and his friend Connor. And there's another distance coach from a different school that I won't name because I'm about to kind of joke on him, right? And he's like a yelling coach. Like, anybody ever have one of those yelling coaches that they get real angry and they're like, Rah. okay, that doesn't motivate me, so I'm not a yelling coach, but he's a yelling coach. And we were watching this distance race that that particular week, Thomas and Connor weren't racing it, and the coach, he's like right, almost like stepping onto the track, which you're not allowed to do, so like, you know, his foot was like right behind the line, but he goes, it's time to get uncomfortable, like at his, at his runner. Um, and like, we're all kind of standing there watching it, and like, we laugh, because that's such a weird thing to say, right? Like, and it's really fun to hear, like if you're a coach, to hear what other coaches say to motivate their runners, because it's like, it's all weird. And like, if, if you've ever run distance, I don't know if any of you guys have ever run distance, they're not listening anyway. So it's like, you could really be like, my shirt is blue, and like, they would just be like, coach was, hey, tell me to go, you know, like, they'd not listen to you. But, but so this coach, he yells at his runner, like, real close to him, like, he leans right in and goes, it's time to get uncomfortable. And we laughed about it, because we're like, that's weird. Like, that's a weird thing to say. Um, 
I hope he doesn't listen to this podcast ever. But that's a weird thing to say, right? And um, so he said that. And then Connor, Thomas's friend, he said something kind of profound. He wasn't trying to be profound. Uh, but it's just kind of stuck with me. And one of those things the Lord has used to, like, just roll around in my head and, like, teach me. Um, but Connor goes, you're really not doing it right if you're comfortable. And, like, so we just kind of looked at him. And he was like, I mean, it's a race. Like, if you're trying to do good in a race, like, you should not be comfortable, right? And he wasn't trying to be profound, but then, like, we keep joking about it, like, and for weeks we've been joking about this now because we're, like, get uncomfortable. But, and, and I think now, like, Thompson Connor are like, well, the whole race should be uncomfortable. Like, if we're doing it right, like, if you're running a mile or you're running two miles and you're trying to win against the other people running a mile or two miles, like, you're not going to just be grooving, Right? Like, it's, it's effort. It's an extravagant amount of effort. And it's not going to feel good until the end when you stop and you realize you won. Like, that feels good. Or you realize you got your personal vest. That feels good. But, like, the actual race, it's an extravagant effort. It's not going to be comfortable. So he said this, and we've been laughing about it for a few weeks. And, and like, at some point, like, as we were laughing about it, the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to me. And he was like, yeah, but that's life. Like, so, like, moving from, like, watching these high school kids race, this coach yell, like, get uncomfortable, but it's like, man, the Apostle Paul equates us following God as a race, right, in 1 Corinthians 9, and he says, like, we're supposed to beat our bodies into submission, and we're supposed to, like, to work hard to receive the prize, and he's not talking about, like, a first place medal, because, like, I mean, those are all right. They're kind of cool. Um, they're really cool for about two hours while you're still at the track meet, and then they go in a sock drawer, and you don't really think about them again. But Apostle Paul's talking about receiving the prize of, like, seeing Jesus face-to-face in heaven and being rewarded when we, when we reach um, our heavenly home. And so, like, as I, was, as I was thinking about this, just thinking about being uncomfortable in terms of living our life for God... Um, I, th- I think that somehow, like, we've come to this place where we think living for God is going to be comfortable, and I don't know that the Bible promises us that. Um, I think sometimes that, like, God's love, there's going to be joy, there's going to be all kinds of things that happen, but I don't know that it's just going to be, like, leisure, you know? I, th- I think, like, a lot of the biblical imagery is that it's going to be, it's going to be hard, it's going to take effort, maybe even extravagant effort, and I think that, um, like, just as I was laughing about this coach, you know, the, the Lord was just kind of speaking in my heart, but, like, sometimes he puts us in uncomfortable places to use us for his kingdom. Sometimes he puts us in an uncomfortable situation because he's like, hey, Jariah, I want to move you. I want to use you there. Akiko, I want to use you there, right? Like, he puts us in, in these situations not so that we can be leisurely or comfortable, but so that his kingdom can advance and he sees us as, like, useful for that purpose. Um, so what on earth does that have to do with Esther, right? What does that have to do with Esther? I, I think it's this. So when I read the story of Esther, I know a lot of ladies, and they read the story of Esther, and they're like, it's so great. It's like Cinderella. And, like, she gets to be the princess, and, like, she eventually, like, marries the king. And, like, so she does get to marry the king, but, like, you guys, if, if you open the book of Esther and you read it, it's, it's a little uncomfortable. Because there's this thing with Esther that, like, um, 
So we're like in the Persian Empire, right? As we're looking at the book of Esther and we have some of the Jewish people that are still there because they've been exiled and some of them have returned, but some of them are still in Persia. And there's this king and his wife, Vashti, makes him mad. And so he's like hanging out with his buddies and they're like, you gotta get rid of her, man. So he gets rid of Vashti and they're like, let's find you a new queen, right? So basically it's like the, the Miss Universe pageant of Persia, right? And, and like all the ladies go before the king and he's gonna pick out the best one and she's gonna be the new queen. And I think the thing I always think about when I read the book of Esther is like, nobody was like, hey Esther, would you like to be queen? Like, we don't know. We don't know if that was something she wanted or, or just kind of one of those situations where life was happening to her, but God put her in a unique position to be used for his glory to like ultimately save his people. So we're gonna, we're gonna kind of look at that tonight. Um, so like we said, this picks up in Persia and Esther, basically she's the, the niece of this guy of Mordecai. Her parents have, have passed away and so she's, she's living with him. Um, and in Esther 2, 7 and 8, it tells us this. This man Mordecai had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin Sorry, I said it wrong. I said she was niece, she's cousin. Um, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. As a result, result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. So none of that indicates that Esther was like, pick me, pick me for queen, right? Like... But it does tell us that Esther had known tragedy. Like, so at the point the story picks up, she has lost both father and mother, and she's living with her older, older cousin. And like, so she's, she's had tragedy in life, and now, just because she's pretty, she finds herself in a king's harem, right? To, to maybe, possibly be his wife. And then um, we see what happens with her in verses 15 through 17. It said, when it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted advice of Haggai, the eunuch, in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. Um, so while we can see that perhaps Esther did not ask to become queen, we also like, need to know that in this book, it's an example of God's divine guidance and care over the lives of his people. Um, and you guys, we have many times in our lives when we question our circumstances, but in those times, I think the book of Esther points us back to the fact that um, we can have faith that God is control, that he's working, in both the pleasant and the painful circumstances for his glory in our lives and in the world for his kingdom. So as we see later, a threat arises, not just to Esther and her cousin Mordecai, but also to the Jewish people within the kingdom of Xerxes. Um, there's this guy, Haman, that really has it out for them and wants to have them all destroyed. And it's awesome to realize that the, the beginning of the story, God had already placed Esther on the throne, even before the Jews faced the possibility of complete destruction. 
So like Esther becomes queen, and then as you read the book of, as you read the book, right, we see Haman come up with this plot to like destroy the people, but God's already got somebody in place. Like he's already put her in the position to address what's going to happen. Um, and I just think that's really, really cool that God has already placed someone in a position to help. And that should encourage us because sometimes in life, it's hard for us to see God's purpose and what's going on around us, right? It's hard to see his purpose in our situation. Sometimes we need to change jobs or positions or locations. I even was texting with a young lady today who's like moving from a different university and coming to Memphis next fall. Um, and she's like, I'm not really excited, like all these changes. Um, but in those times when things are changing, we need to understand that God is in control. Like God is infinite, immutable, all wise. And so like the things that catch us by surprise, they don't catch him by surprise. And so we can trust that like he sees it all and he's working even when we don't understand what's happening. And like when you find yourself in those places, he may even be putting you in a position to be a person that, that helps somebody. He may even be putting you in a position to meet a need that's going to arise. Maybe it's not even like a need that's happened yet, but like he's put you there and it's going to be for just the right time. So we're gonna fast forward to Esther chapter four, which like you guys, me and Jariah were talking about this earlier. The Bible is not boring, but like if you like want a good read, like go home and read the book of Esther. Like it's a fun story. It's really interesting, twists and turns and stuff. We're gonna jump to chapter four and we're gonna see this conversation that Esther has with Mordecai, and, and they're having it through a messenger that he's like basically taking a note back and forth between them. Um, his name's Hatchatch. At some point, I like did a editing mess and it just says Hatch, so that's what we're gonna call him, because um, I'm real bad at pronouncing names. So we're, this is my homie Hatch for tonight, okay. Um, so Esther 4 says, Mordecai gave Hatch a copy of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all the Jews. This is the decree that like Haman had written because he had some anger at Mordecai and he decided, why just destroy Mordecai? Let's destroy all the Jewish people. Um, so he sends a copy of this decree to Esther and he asks Hatch to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked him to direct her to go to the king and beg for mercy and plead for her people. Now, like, if we're reading that and we don't understand the context of the book, this makes a lot of sense. Esther's the queen. She's married to the king, right? So who better to go and be like, hey, we need to have a conversation. Um, we, like, we would be liable to think if anyone can go to the king and plead on behalf of the Jewish people, it's Esther, right? Um, so she's made aware of the situation. And, like, what's, what's really interesting is Culturally, though, she can't just go in and be like, hey, honey, let's chat. Because as we read on, um, we see that like her, it's really high stakes for her to go to the king. It's really high stakes for her to go. There's a, there's a law that like, if you appear before the king and you weren't summoned and he doesn't welcome you in, like you can die. That's how serious it is to just go to the king. So even though she's his wife, she can't just go running into the throne room and be like, hey, I need to talk to you. So he's asking something really big of her. In verses uh, 4, 10 through 11, it says, Esther told Hatch to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. 
All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called me to come for him, come to him for 30 days. So she is basically saying like, Mordecai, this could cost me my life. And the thing is, at this point, Mordecai is also a palace official, so he would have known this. So he's not just saying, hey, go talk to your husband. Like he's saying like, hey, put your life on the line to go into the throne room of the king on behalf of our people. Um, so he's not asking her to do this lightly. So she doesn't go at first because it could be fatal. And I don't know about you guys, like, like ladies, you with me, but somebody's like, hey, go have this conversation. You could die. Like you're like, hmm. I don't know about that, right? So she doesn't go at first because it could be fatal. It's illegal. And also we learn from like this little snippet we just read that the king hasn't called her for 30 days. So this is kind of awkward, but it suggests that she didn't feel she had much favor with him at the moment or think that she would be seeing him soon. Like if she was like, yeah, he's going to call for me later, it wouldn't have been hard to have the conversation, but there's been some distance. He's not called her in a while. So she's like, I don't really know even where I stand with him right now. I don't know what will happen. So in verses 13 and 14, and really this is like the crux of the book. If you want to know like the main point, like what am I supposed to get from the book of Esther? It's here. Um, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. So that, that end of that verse is key. Who knows if you were made queen for just such a time as this. Um, and like, it's really important what he says, because first of all, Mordecai is saying, I believe that God's going to rescue our people whether you go to the king or not. Like, God is big. He has a plan. He's going to rescue our people. But then he also points out that she, too, could die if she refuses to help. So he's, he's like, God's moving, but perhaps God's put you where you are right for this moment because he's trying to move through you. Um, so Esther sends this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. If I must die, I must die. So let's unpack this conversation a little bit. Um, these verses, Mordecai believes that even if she doesn't go, God's going to deliver them, but she's a Jew, so she too could die and likely will if she refuses to help. Because if this thing that Haman has, has set off and all the Jews are going to be killed if she doesn't do anything, like she's a Jew, she would, she would still be killed. Um, and like, you know, it makes me think about so often we're content when we see a need, like we see a need and we're like, somebody should do something about that. Anybody ever been there? Like we see a need and we're like, somebody should really address that. And I, I really feel like Esther probably just, just being, living her life in the palace, heard about this decree and was like, that's awful. Somebody should do something, right? And, and Mordecai is the one that turns it back and he's like, yeah, and maybe somebody is you, right? Maybe somebody is you. Maybe you're the one that should do something. 
And so I think it encourages us, just this story, that we should stop and think, what if I'm not somebody? What if when I'm seeing that need, that's actually the Holy Spirit calling me? What if I'm the one that God sent to help? Right? Like, what if I'm the one that's supposed to meet the need? Um, and so I think God really wants us to live in a way that we're ready to move. Like, if we see a need and we sense that God wants us to, we're ready to respond. Even if we see obstacles. So Esther had a big obstacle, you guys. Like, she's like, if this dude doesn't want me in the throne room, he can kill me. Right? Um, but even when we see obstacles, we should ask God, are you sending me? Because we all have such a time as this moments. And I think they really arise for a lot of us in those really uncomfortable times. In those moments when life is saying, like, get uncomfortable, right? I think those are the moments that, like, if you're just like, God, what are you doing? That we really probably should, like, if we can, like, put our emotions down just for a second, not that they don't matter, but just be like, okay, are you doing something? Because a lot of times, you guys, it's out of the most uncomfortable things that, that God moves and does something great. Now, like, did it feel great? Probably not. But, like, I really think, like, it's important to get to a place where it's, like, change lives are more important than my comfort, right? Um, so I think we may um, have even many moments like this, like for such a time as this moment in our life. Some will be big, like Esther's, but most will be small, like helping somebody in need or somebody that's hungry or befriending someone who's lonely or refusing to gossip or cutting it off when we hear it or encouraging somebody that's down. What will we do with our moments, our uncomfortable moments, our such a time as this moment? I really believe that these are often the moments that we don't want to live, the moments we'd rather pack up and run the other direction. And I really believe that sometimes God has placed us uniquely in those moments for his kingdom purposes. You guys, like, like I'll be honest, there are moments that, like, I want to stay in my sweatpants and I want to crawl back up in the bed and pull the cover and be like, I'm out, right? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do it. But I really believe that sometimes God calls us to push through those because he's trying to use us. And like, if we'll respond to that, maybe we'll see God do something cool. Not because we're great, but because he can use like the weak and the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, right? And like when we're weak, he is strong. Um, so it's like thinking about an example of this, and, and we'll get back to Esther in a second. But like, so we've been on campus a minute. You guys know this. We've been here a while. So a long, long time ago, in a land that was literally this campus, but before any of you guys were students, there was a day very much like today, because today was another one of those days. If I'm honest, I just want to get back in bed and cover up and hide. Because um, I, I woke up, and I, I, Matt can tell you, like, he came in the kitchen, and I was crying, and I was like, pray for me, because I was just like, emotionally, today was a lot. Um, but it was one of those days, and we were doing the involvement fair that happens during spring semester. That's the one in January in the ballroom that people don't come to, okay? Like, the not fun one. And we were supposed to go and, and, and like, set up and, like, represent Chi Alpha, because that's what the university wants us to do, and, like, 
we want to do what the university wants us to do because we are thankful that they let us minister on their campus, right? So we're getting ready for the involvement fair, and I, I was like, I don't want to do this, Lord. Like, people are going to walk by, and they're going to stare at me because I'm old, and I was younger then. Um, and like, nobody's going to want to talk to me. And I was like, I just, I don't know what to do. So instead of driving to campus, I drove in the opposite direction to Dollar Tree. Because I was like, I can at least make it fun. And I don't know, if you guys haven't got to know me well, yeah, you will. But like, if I can make it fun, I'm like, okay. And so I'm walking through the Dollar Tree, and I'm like, I need an idea, I need an idea, I need an idea. And um, there were these like dumb little mustaches. You guys remember when mustaches were like just so funny, everybody mustaches. There were little like adhesive mustaches. And I was like, cool, that's like corny. It's so corny. It's awful, but I'm gonna I'm gonna buy these and like we had our white our whiteboard you know that you write the question on because we still do that it was just not mustaches sorry, um, and and like we're gonna set it up and it's gonna say I must ask you a question like and it's like something who is God or something right like no like awful but then like so here's the kicker so then like me and our student president Carly who like Chris remembers because he was he was here. Nobody else was. We're all like, we all put on the mustaches. And then we had a staff, Joey, she puts on a mustache. So it's like all these ladies sitting at the table with like mustaches. <laughs> um, and and I, I kid you not, it was like one of those, like I was just uncomfortable. I wasn't feeling it that day, but I'm like, my friends are here. We look real stupid. Like, let's just embrace it. So a student walks by and like, you know, like 20 other students have walked by and been like, hi, and they're like, hey, and like kept walking. But a student walks by and I said, hey. And she turned and she looked at me and then she started like laughing, which is fine because like, if you got three ladies saying they're wearing mustaches, like please, finally, somebody like, I'm like, this is absurd, it's dumb. Like, thank you for reacting. So she comes over and she starts talking to us and introduces herself. Um, and like, that was how we met this student, right? And she gets plugged in, starts coming to Chi Alpha, starts coming to my life group. God really starts moving in her life. And it wasn't until like months later that we were like having a conversation and she was like, you know what, Jackie? That day I met you, that you had on that stupid mustache. And I'm like, uh-huh. And she goes, I was going to leave that involvement fair, and I was so low that I was going home and I was going to take my life. But God sent a ridiculous white lady with a mustache, and like for some reason, it just like broke through because <laughs> it was like not supposed to be there. And, it, and, and she's like, and I, I made a friend, and I made friends with y'all, and like I, just, I had a little bit of hope, so I didn't do it. And you guys, like, can I tell you, I was glad I got out of bed. I was glad I took off the sweatpants and I like came to campus even though I wasn't feeling it. And like I did the uncomfortable involvement fair because I love Chi Alpha, but like involvement fairs, like they're the necessary evil. That's how we meet the people. But like, they're just, I don't know. They're people at tables like yelling at you. It's just, I don't know. That's not normal. That's not how you normally make friends, right? Um, but like, man, I was glad. I was glad, and I, I think like over and over again, you know, like that's not that I did anything, but God can use like just the littlest bit of obedience in us to like reach somebody.
the littlest bit, right? Because, like, I didn't even want to be there. But God was like, I'll use it because, like, she needs me, right? And, and so I think sometimes he has for us to em- embrace these uncomfortable moments. Um, and you guys, sometimes, like Esther, we pause, we hesitate, we think, I really can't. We see, we see obstacles, and we need a Mordecai. So, like, if a Mordecai pops up in your life and is saying, no, God's trying to use you, though, like, listen, right? When God sends those people or when God uses the Holy Spirit to be a Mordecai, right? And the Holy Spirit's like, go, <laughs> listen, listen. Um, because Mordecai says, who knows if perhaps you were put here You may not be main queen, but you were put here for just such a time as this. Maybe you are where you are for a reason. You know, I'm sure when Esther's parents died, that was tough. And even when she was, like, taken to go through this whole, like, princess thing and appear before the king and maybe become queen, that may not have been something she even asked for or wanted to do. Yet God was at work. God was at work. And ultimately, through her story, she does go to the king. He does extend his scepter, and eventually she exposes the plot that Haman has that he's trying to kill her cousin, Mordecai, and he's trying to kill the Jewish people, and a decree is sent out where the Jewish people are alerted and told that they can defend themselves, and it ends up that, like, Haman's trying to kill Mordecai, and he ends up dead in the exact way that he was going to kill the other dude, and, like, Mordecai gets all his land. Like, it's, like, literally, like, God, like, does a complete role reversal all because this one girl was in this one position and was willing to, to do the scary thing and, and step out and say, maybe God is going to use me in the situation. Um, so here's just a few like little principal takeaways from Esther's story. When our circumstances seem uncomfortable, we must have faith that God is working through both the painful and the pleasant for his glory in our lives. So even in the bad stuff or the hard stuff, or the weird stuff, God could be working for our good and for the good of his people and for the good of his kingdom. So I just encourage you guys, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. If you find yourself in one of those situations where you're like, why am I here? Like, pause and pray and be like, God, would you show me? Like, would you show me why I'm here? Would you show me why I'm at the University of Memphis? Would you show me why I went home for the summer? Like, you know, if you find yourself, like, stuck in one of those situations, be like, God, show me what you're doing here. Because he's moving, right? Like, he's always moving. He's always working. And he wants to involve us in that. The second one is this. It's possible that God has placed you where you are, right in your situation, to strategically use you for his kingdom. So look around. Look at where God has placed you. Are you ready to be used? Um, you know, we talked about Esther, too, when she was, she was in the harem and, like, getting ready And, like, Esther had to become ready to be queen. There were months of beauty treatments. I would not mind that part. Um, There were special diets. I would definitely mind that part. Um, There were fancy clothes. She had to get ready. And um, while we don't have to, like, go to the spa and eat a fancy diet, like, spiritually, we also need to be in a place that we're ready to be used. Right? Where we're ready for God to work in our lives. Like, we don't have to do the diet, but we do need to regularly spend time in the Word of God, 
right? Because if the word of God is stored up in our hearts and our minds, then we, we can share it with those around us. Um, we don't need beauty treatments, but we need to spend time in prayer and let God work in our lives and give us beautiful spirits. We may not need special clothes, but we need to be clothed in humility and in the armor of God, right? We need to be ready so that we find ourselves in whatever situation, right? If we're, if we're like strong in Christ and we're like abiding in Christ, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can look around and say, hey God, what are you doing here? And be useful, right? So we can prepare to be used. We can be prepared for the, the uncomfortable moments that God's gonna use for such a time as this moment. And the third thing is this, God made Esther queen before the Jews were ever in danger. When trouble came, he already had raised up someone to help. He'd already raised her up. She was already in that position. So even if you don't see clearly what God is doing now with where you're at, I encourage you to trust him. Keep following him, keep pursuing him, keep spending time with him. Know that he's working even when we don't see it and be ready. Because it's like, he may be getting you ready to intervene in a situation, and it's just not there yet. It's not happened yet. So if you're in a place you don't understand, maybe just maybe God's putting you in that place to do something for him, right? Maybe that moment is coming. Um, so there's this, this verse that we referenced at the beginning, and I just want to, like, touch on it, and then we'll pray. It's 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. This is where the Apostle Paul talks about life as a race. We're just like going to come back around because I like when things come full circle. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone who runs aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So we started tonight talking about a track meet and the observation that in athletics, we're often willing to understand, even embrace being uncomfortable. Like when you go and, and you're doing something athletic, whether it's like playing basketball or football or running a race, like, we're willing to be uncomfortable for that. Even just to get in shape, we're willing to put in a little bit of effort in and get uncomfortable. However, when it comes to life and living for God, we often shy away when things become hard or discouraging or uncomfy. Um, our culture literally chases after leisure and comfort. Um, our culture is one where, like, it is, it is chasing chill. You guys were going into the summer, and I don't know about you guys, but a lot of imagery around summer is lazy and at the beach and chilling at the pool days. And like, yeah, it's okay to have some of those, right? It's okay to have some of those, um, but that's not necessarily how most of our summer is gonna look, any of us probably, right? Unless you're Amelia and you lifeguard, she will be by the pool, but she'll be working. <laughs> Um, <laughs> she was like, nah. No, because you're interning. You don't even get to view the pool this summer. Um, but if, if we're like living our summer and it's like not this perfect leisure, like we're in good company. And I think we're doing it right. 
I think any time where we're like, we just lounge around and we have nothing to do and nothing to stir us up, we really just get lazy and complacent and, and like closed off from the world. And God wants us like involved in the world and around people so that we can be used for his kingdom. Um, and you guys, in the Bible, God literally describes living for him as a race, like as a race, as exercise, right? So he tells us it's going to be effort. It's going to be effort, and that's okay. So if you're like, find yourself like, God, I'm having to like work hard to stay close to you, like you're probably doing it right, right? Same as Connor in his, in his race when he's running. Like if you're not uncomfortable, like he's like, are you even running? Like if you're not uncomfortable, right? And, and sometimes for us, it's like, like if we're not putting in effort, like, like are we pursuing God? Are we abiding? Like we should be willing to like extend some effort, even maybe extravagant effort, to, to go after God and to know him and to make him known. Um, so I just encourage you guys to be open um, to, what, to what God's doing, even open to being uncomfortable if it means that God gets more glory, if it means that his kingdom advances, if it means that another person becomes part of the family of God. Because um, maybe God doesn't put you in a place to save an entire people group. Maybe he does. Right? Like, we don't know what God's getting us ready for. But, but man, I would want to be ready. Right? I want to be ready to be used for his kingdom. Um, so the challenge tonight is that when we find ourselves in those uncomfortable places, pause and look around and ask the Lord, what are you wanting to do here? Do you want to use me? So I just want to take a few moments. And um, this is like a little bit of a different ending. But I just want to, like, pray over us as we go into summer. Um, and, and pray that, that we'd be willing just to be used by God where he puts us, right? Um, that we wouldn't just be living for like, oh, God, send me there. Oh, God, I can't wait till I arrive here. But, but we would just like really embrace where he puts us and look around and be like, hey, what are you doing right here? How do you want to use me? Um, that okay? All right, we'll just take a moment and pray. God, do you see these students? And God, you love each of them. God, you call each of them precious. And God, I truly believe that you have a unique plan for each and every one of them for their lives. God, for how you can use them. And, and there's things that they can do that nobody else can do. There's people they can reach that nobody else can reach. God, there's places they will be that literally nobody else will be. That God, you can use them for their kingdom and glory. So God, I pray, would you just make us people who are... are uh, pursuing you, God, spending time with you, abiding in you, and, and God, people that aren't just chasing comfort or leisure or, or when we arrive at the next destination, but God, that, that we're people that look for where you're moving right where we are, right where you have us. God, would you give us radical trust that in the situations in which we find ourselves, God, that you are working, and God, you want to use us there. God, I pray over each and every one of these students, God, that you would bless them this summer. God, that this summer would be a time of great growth in you. God, it wouldn't be a time uh, to get lax about their faith, but God, that it would be a time where they would really press in and pursue you and have extravagant time in your word, extravagant time at prayer. God, that this would be a summer where they grow closer to you and they look back and they say, man, did God pull me closer to his heart that summer? And God, I pray that God, you would just lead them some of them are going home, some of them are interning, 
Some of them will be here, but God, um, in each and every situation, God, would you lead them? Would you guide them? Would you wrap your arms of protection around them? And God, we look forward to when we get to come worship you together again in the fall. God, we give you glory and honor and praise. God, we thank you you love us and thank you for all you've done this year. In Jesus' name, amen.